Welcome to the Investing in Oil and Gas.com podcast, where Mike brings you in the game and on the drilling rig with real life oil well drilling experiences, 3D seismic shooting, geology, engineering, investment terms, strategy, and more. Your host brings over 20 years of experience with hundreds of oil and gas wells and companies including ExxonMobil, Shell, and BP. Degreed in petroleum engineering from Texas A&M and later receiving a professional engineering license, today, Mike is the president of an oil company that explores for oil using its own 3D seismic equipment and then drills oil wells on the prospects that they find on seismic. Mike wrote the book, Investing in Oil and Gas, selling thousands of copies in print, digital, and audiobooks. You'll find it on Amazon. And now, Mike May. All right. Hello again. This is Mike. And this week I was working on a drilling prognosis uh, for an upcoming well. A drilling prognosis is a detailed plan uh, where you write down everything you possibly can in greatest detail that you can think of in preparation for drilling a well. Whereas a business plan might be something you do over two to five years, a drilling prognosis is something you're going to execute over a period of weeks. And I thought I would go through this in and I thought I would go through the document here and just let you hear a little bit of what's in this drilling prognosis. On the first page, I've got the well name, the county, the state, and the uh, volume and page where the lease is recorded or the memorandum is recorded. And then I have the drilling location, and I have it in two coordinate systems, NAD 83 and NAD 27, uh, both in feet and in meters, as well as the latitude and longitude. I've got the distance from the survey lines, so in this case, it's so many feet from the north line and so many feet from the west line of the survey, and we're in Texas. And then I've got so many feet from the north line and so many feet from the west line of the lease, and that's the oil and gas lease that we're on. And then there's the elevation. I have the ground elevation, and that's uh, feet above sea level. And the surveyor plat date. I have driving directions from a known town. And the drilling permit number and the drilling permit date. And then here on the table of contents, sections for the whole document. It's about a 50-page document, but there's contacts and primarily vendors. Then there's a list of the geologic formations. There's the well plat. There's a copy of the drilling permit, a page that's about building the drilling location. So who's going to build it and how it's going to be set up. Of course, a drilling location is dependent on the rig. So each rig will have its own footprint, if you will, as to where it needs the pits and where it needs flat space and so forth. So all of that will be built around the stake, which is already out there. The surveyor staked the well, and then the person that's going to build the location will build the location around that stake. We've also determined the tank battery location, which is gonna be different from the location of the well. And we want that tank battery location to be a place where trucks can come easily and uh, pick up the oil. There's a surface damage payment that is owed to the surface owner before spudding. So I've got a paragraph in there about that that explains exactly how much to pay and when. And so we'll draw a 12 and a quarter surface hole, excuse me, a 12 and a quarter inch surface hole and set eight and five eighths casing. And then we will cement that all the way to surface. So there'll be cement between the casing and the borehole wall all the way from the casing shoe, which is the bottom of the casing, all the way to surface. The next step is to drill a 7 and 7 eighths hole and we'll drill that from the casing shoe of surface casing all the way down to a point a little bit deeper than our target formation. 
In this case, we have a target formation that we've identified on 3D seismic, so we can see a structure in that formation. And the formation also produces in a nearby well in a separate structure. So we believe that our structure is a lot like that structure, you know, somewhat analogous to the nearby producing well. So it's the same formation as a nearby producing well, but a separate structure or underground bump or anticline. We hope that we're able to create an analogous well nearby uh, with actually a larger structure. We can see our 3D seismic went over the structure where the currently producing well is, as well as this new structure, which appears to be untapped. Our structure is actually larger in this case, so we're hoping to have perhaps a better well. After we drill the well uh, down to this uh, little bit past this target formation, we've got a plan for wireline logging, uh, resistivity, density, neutron, gamma ray, and an acoustic tool, uh, which is just a standard suite of logs. And also on the way down, we're going to be mud logging, which means uh, as the cuttings that are removed from the hole come across a piece of equipment called a shale shaker, which is a, a piece of equipment that separates them from the drilling fluid. Then we'll be collecting those solids literally with our hands as they, if they fall off of the shale shakers, kind of like something coming off the end of a conveyor belt. And we'll take those samples and place them in bags, cloth bags. In our case, we will collect as many of those as we possibly can. Industry-wide, people collect maybe once every 10 feet, but I'm going to be aiming for more like once every 5 feet. And in the zones of interest, I'd like to catch samples every foot. So I'm going to have a lot more mud-cutting samples than, than most people collect. And the reason is I think they're very important. You only have one chance to get them. This is when the well's being drilled. You never know what you're going to find. And to me, the, the rock is the most important thing in a well. And it contains uh, the mineralogy you know, on a fine level. And uh, it also tells a bigger story about the macroscopic geology of the area. And it also contains oil and gas. If there's oil and gas uh, in that well bore, it will be found within the pores of the rocks that are brought to surface as cuttings. Anyway, I'm, I'm a person that's a strong believer in, in mud logging. And I'm certainly a believer in wireline logging. I, I spent eight years in the field as a wireline uh, logging engineer. I'm big on formation evaluation. And from that, we will evaluate the formations and decide whether or not there's any zones that are commercially productive. Obviously, we hope our main target is commercially productive, but there's some secondary targets up the hole. Um, there are zones that produce in the area, and they may be productive here, but we don't have enough seismic information to call them primary targets. In other words, if all we had was the information we have on those zones, they might be productive, but we don't have enough information to justify drilling the well. But we do have enough information to justify our main target, and that is the reason we're drilling the well, and along the way, we're going to have to pass through these other zones and we'll just hope for good luck. So maybe we'll hit on those uh, secondary targets. So there's a mud logging program that I'm going to discuss with our mud logger. So we're going to agree in advance exactly when he's going to rig up his equipment and start catching samples and start analyzing them. In this case, because I'm an aggressive mud logger, <laughs> I'm going to have him start logging immediately out from underneath surface casings. As soon as we drill out with our 7 and 7 eighths bit, I'm going to have them catching samples and analyzing them right then. The next section in our drilling prognosis is our well control and BOP testing program. And this I'm going to review with our drilling contractor. And this is all the things we need to do to make sure we always have control of the well. 
One of those things is BOP testing. Uh, of course, we're going to talk about our mud weights and you know, know the mud weights that we need at various depths. Uh, so we want to keep that hydrostatic head in the well uh, equal to or greater than the pore pressures in all the formations that are exposed within the wellbore. And then in the event that we do take a kick, which means uh, fluid does come into the wellbore at an unscheduled time, then we need to be able to control it with equipment and we'll have a daily testing program where we test the BOP. We'll isolate it on the surface and pump pressure into it, simulating what it would go through if, it, if, if uh, we were actually using it. So we're proving that the BOP is capable of withstanding the pressures that it would need to withstand uh, in the event of us taking a kick. And so what you're doing there is just making sure that you know the valves function and that all of the seals do in fact seal, in other words. It... Next is our casing program. Uh, we're gonna drill a 12 and a quarter hole, set eight and five eighths inch OD, 23 pound per foot J55 casing as our surface casing. And then we're gonna drill out with a seven and seven eighths inch bit, uh, probably a PDC bit. C drilling contractors love those because they drill uh, much faster than tricone bits. So we'll drill a seven and seven eighths inch hole down to our prescribed TD or total depth. And then we'll set, if the well looks good from our formation evaluation of mud cuttings and wireline logs, then we'll set five and a half inch OD, 15.5 pound per foot J55 casing all the way to surface. Most of the casing is about 40 feet in length and that's because it fits nicely on a flatbed truck at that length. Later on when we're perforating or running logs, it's common to tie into casing collars, but if they're all 40 feet in length, it's hard to figure out where you are. So what we do is we include maybe a short joint that's only 20 feet long uh, down, down hole. And so that way, all of the logs can be tied into one another. So if we run a gamma ray neutron bond log, for example, uh, with a casing collar locator, then we come back later with just a casing collar locator. Uh, the first log having a gamma ray we'll know exactly where our pay zone is relative to that 20-foot short joint. So we'll be so many feet above or below that 20-foot short joint. And that way, when we come back later to perforate with just a casing collar locator, we'll be confident that we're perforating in the right depth because the first thing we'll do is run a, a log of just a casing collar locator and we'll see that 20-foot joint. It'll stick out like a sore thumb when everything else is 40 feet. And then we'll be able to look back at our old log and say, okay, the pay zone is so many feet above or below that 20 foot short joint. So we'll include a short joint in our casing string. Also in the casing string, we'll include uh, any float equipment that we need to help us with the cementing. And we also determine the, go through the API specs of the casing. So we look at the tensile strength of the casing, the collapse strength of the casing, and the burst strength of the casing. And you typically design a casing string from the bottom up so that you uh, account for all of these tensions and make sure that you have that your casing is capable of handling all the tension, all of the collapse pressure, and all of the burst pressure that it might encounter during the life of the well. And all of those specifications are defined by the API, American Petroleum Institute. And then we'll also determine the tension that we're gonna have on the casing when we hang it in the slips. We not only have it written out, but we also have uh, diagrams or you know sketches made on the computer that show the hole sizes and the various casing ODs and IDs. Okay, so after the casing program is the cementing program, which will be, for the most part, designed by our cementing contractor. And the next section is our completion and test program. 
After the well is uh, drilled and cased and the casing has been cemented, then we'll release the drilling rig and we'll come back with a workover rig. We'll go down and we'll perforate the target zone or perhaps one of the secondary targets if we were lucky up the hole. And so we'll perforate and that's a, a device that makes a hole in the casing so that fluid can flow in from the outside of the well bore into the inside of the well. We'll perforate and then we'll pull a little bit of water off the top of the well in order to reduce the hydrostatic head pushing down on the well bore and that will allow fluid to flow into the well and hopefully oil will start to come to the surface. In our case we should be able to establish a flowing oil well. If not, we will set a pump jack on it which is a rocking horse or pump jack or pumping unit. That will pump the oil to the surface if it won't flow all the way to the surface naturally under its own pressure. So we've got a program there for testing the productive capacity of the well. There's a wellhead program and that just simply describes all of the wellhead equipment that will be at the surface and that will be assembled over time. We'll start with a casing head when we run the surface casing and then we'll set another casing head when we run the five and a half inch casing and then there'll be a tubing head on top of the tubing eventually when we run tubing. So there's a wellhead program, there's a tubing program. In this case we'll run a two and three eighths inch OD 4.7 pound per foot J55 tubing all the way to surface. And it also has some special equipment in the bottom of it that the pump seats in. So there's a piece of equipment called the seat nipple which needs to be included in the tubing string. And so when we run our, our pump with the sucker rods afterward, uh, they will seat in that seat nipple. That just gives it something to, to grasp the, uh, the pump so it doesn't move around. If you're moving the rods up and down, something needs to hold the pump in place. Otherwise, the pump won't work. <laughs> so the pump will seat in the seat nipple, and then you can move the rods up and down, and the pump will function. Then we'll have tanks and a separator, so we've decided on you know, what size oil stock tanks we'll have. And oil stock tanks are typically made of steel, and then we'll also have a water tank made out of fiberglass that's for produced water. We have an electrical program, so we'll have an electrician set poles uh, to power our pump jack. So we'll connect to a nearby uh, electric line. So we've got a plan for where we're going to place our electric poles and what kind of electrical connection it will be. There's two kinds of electricity. Uh, there's two-phase and three-phase electrical service. In our case, it's two-phase. And that also affects the motor that we choose for the pump jack. So since we have two-phase electricity, then all of our equipment needs to be two-phase. We have a fishing and stuck pipe program, and that's all of our plans for dealing with uh, any of equipment that we lose in the hole whether it's drill pipe, tubing, or anything else, we have a plan for fishing all of those things. And finally, at the end here, I have wellbore schematics, which are the sketches, if you will, made in the computer. They're nice sketches that show the casing and the hole size for all the various hole sizes we're going to drill, and the casing that's going to be in the well, and the tubing, and the pump. So it's just a drawing that shows you where everything is and the, all the measurements and dimensions. Thank you for being here. I'm glad you're listening to the podcast. And just a reminder, our website is investinginoilandgas.com. Thank you very much, and I'll see you next time. Visit us at investinginoilandgas.com and join our email list.